And we are back. This is Alexander Juan Antonio Cortez, and this is the Out of Health Podcast. So, topic at hand to discuss for this podcast. This is a amalgamation of multiple questions I've had come in concerning cheat reps and range of motion and when to cheat or should you cheat your reps or what is complete range of motion. So I'm going to try to answer all this in one fell swoop. So let's start by articulating and defining what, what, what is range of motion when you're lifting. What does it mean to have complete range of motion? So when you are lifting weights, since that is the discussion, when you're doing resistance training, and whether this is free weights or body weight, your joints have certain ranges of motion to them where they have a defined pathway of movement that they can essentially go through and flex and extend through. And depending upon what section of that range of motion you load, you can characterize or define exercise as having complete or incomplete range of motion. So you're basically just referring to how much can my joints move. That's a simple way of thinking about it. And if we do something like uh, a push-up, let's say, let's use an easy example. So push-up. So a push-up involves, let's say, your, your shoulders. It involves your deltoids, your chest, your triceps. You put your hands flat on the floor. You get your feet together. You rise up. Your arms are straight. So your arms are relatively straight. They are in alignment with gravity. I'm going to extend my shoulders and uh, flex my elbows, and I'm going to lower my body down, and that's going to cause my muscles to engage, and they're going to stretch. My chest is going to stretch out. My shoulders are going to stretch out. And I lower my chest down to about right, right at the floor, maybe right above the floor. And my elbows at that point, they're past the point of being at 90 degrees. Uh, my body is still in line with the surface of the earth. But what have I done? What I've done is I've taken my joints through their relatively full range of motion, and then I'm going to contract and flex my muscles, and I'm going to rise back up. And that's a complete range of motion push-up. Now, your range of motion for any given muscle, you have a healthy range of motion. There's two, there's actually, there's two ranges of motion for any given muscle. You have a healthy range of motion, or you have the loadable range of motion, I should say, which means you can apply resistance to the muscular range of motion, and you can lift and resist, and then you have the hyperextend range of motion. So what does that mean? That means that your muscles are attached to tendons. Your tendons are attached to bone. Your muscles are only so long in length. So if I swing with my bicep, I can hold a dumbbell at my shoulder. I can flex my bicep, and I can lower my bicep down, 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 until my arm is almost all the way straight. And then if I hyperextend my elbow, so I'm going through the active loadable range of motion, and I go down and down, and then I finally get to the point where my elbow is almost straight. If I extend from there and hyperextend my elbow, I'm no, I'm no longer loading the muscle. I'm loading the tendon. So I've gone beyond the muscular range of motion, and now I'm in the hyperextend range of motion, meaning I've gone past the point that I can safely load that joint with weight. Now, this is the big thing. that It's hard to understand this unless you can see it, and I know full well that describing this in a podcast is difficult, but a common problem people have when they go to lift weights is they either cut the range of motion short or they don't take the muscle through its active, loadable range of motion, or they overextend, they overdo the range of motion, where they end up hyperextending the movements. 
So an example of that would be, let's say you're going to bench press and you let the bar crash all the way down your chest and your shoulders cave in and your elbows are flared out. And at that point, you're not training your pectoral muscles, you're just hyperextending your shoulders. You're stretching the muscles out beyond the point that would be safe to load them. And then you're trying to press and you're trying to realign your joints and the whole thing is very injurious. You could see the same thing with, with bicep curls where you have a barbell curl and you curl up all the way, but then you let your elbows lock out, you let your wrists relax, you hyperextend your arms, and then you try and curl back up from there. That's going to cause problems. You could see the same thing in a squat. You go down to a squat, your spine's in a neutral position, you get your hips to perhaps about parallel, and then you go down more, your spine tucks under, your hips roll under, you start to round your back over, you kind of collapse in between your knees, and now you've gone from, again, an active controlled range of motion to a hyper-extended range of motion. And this is a common problem that people have where they, you know, they want to do ass-to-grass squats, they want to lift correctly, they want to know they're doing the technique right, but basically they overdo it. And the thing about this is that it's going to be different person-to-person depending upon your biomechanics, depending upon your natural anthropometrics, depending upon how your body's built. If you have very long arms, so I'm tall, I'm over six feet in height, I have very long arms. If I bring my elbow, you know, let's say if I'm doing bench press and I bring my elbow down to a perpendicular 90 degree position, the bar is still above my chest. It's still above my chest. I haven't touched my chest yet. For me to touch my chest on a flat barbell bench press, I have to essentially hyperextend my shoulders to do so. Why is that? Well, I got long arms. And this because of my arm length and because of the way my torso is built and my you know, shoulder width and all that, I can't necessarily do a flat barbell bench press really safely unless I really widen out my grip and or I get a really big arch in my back. That's because of how I'm built. That's my body structure. If I had shorter arms, and let's say I had a very thick sort of a, like tree trunk chest where, you know, very, uh, you know, built like a root beer barrel, then I could bring my arms down to 90 degrees, and I might be able to touch my chest. And you'll, and you'll see this very often in people that are very naturally strong in certain movements, where their biomechanics, their joint length, is very well suited to do that exercise with both the full range of motion and not that much of a range of motion to begin with. What does that mean? What did I just say? You said full range of motion, and these said not that much range of motion. I mean is that when you have very short arms or very short legs, you're going to be more inclined to be better at certain things because you have to move the weight less of a distance than someone with longer limbs. If you have very short arms, then chest pressing is not going to be that hard. If you got really long arms, chest pressing is not going to be so easy. If you have really long legs, you have a long ways to go down the squat. If you have really short legs, you don't have to go down that far. So your range of motion is relative to yourself. This is why when you're watching people exercise, if you're watching somebody with a completely different body type than you, it can give you a very skewed perception of what appropriate range of motion is. So hopefully this is starting to make sense now. So we have our active, loadable range of motion. We have our hyperextended, beyond the point we want to go range of motion. And then we have to account for our own limb length and how that affects what our range of motion looks like. This is why I differentiate between good form and good technique. Someone could have very good form, but they could not know anything about technique. How does that make any sense? How could you have good form and not know that you have good technique? Well, some people, like I said, some people, the way they're built, 
perhaps they are very square with how they're built. They have very equal torso length, arm length, leg length. They can do movements, and by default, just because of how their body, again, is structured, they tend to do things correctly. So they have this concept that if you can just do your exercises, how they do their exercises, and it looks like them, that, okay, well, that's what good technique is. What they're unaware of is the difference in technical performance between different body types. This is why people that are naturally good at lifting weights and naturally strong, they tend to be very poor teachers of actual technical instruction and execution of lifts because they've always been good at it and they don't know why they're good at it. So it's kind of like that situation of someone you're really talented at something, it's hard to teach somebody how to do it to your level. That's because you didn't have to work that hard for it, truly. Now, if you have somebody with a similar body type to yours and they seem to have good technique then or good form, you know, they're somewhat interchangeable, then that would be someone to learn from. And if you're searching out a trainer, you want to find a trainer that can articulate the differences in technical performance between different body types. You do not want to find somebody that talks about technique as this is what it should look like, this is what's correct, and this is the only way to do it. Now, moving into things like cheat reps or partial ranges of motion. Should you ever do these things in training? Are cheat reps good in training or partial ranges of motion good in training? Not so much. Now, not to say that they're not useful to do, not to say that cheat reps are bad, not to say that partial ranges of motion can't be useful, but the majority of your training should be full range of motion, full active range of motion, training your muscles through their full kinetic loadable range and flexing, extending, contracting, and learning how to do that and enhancing your flexibility, enhancing your strength. The majority of your training should be, let's just say 90% of it, 95% of it, it should be full range of motion, okay? Now that said, though, (laughs) I'm always prefacing everything, that said, do cheat reps, partial ranges of motion have a place? Yes, they do. Let's start with partial ranges of motion first. Partial range of motion training is most useful when it's done occasionally, and it's most useful when it's done with compound movements, specifically the barbell, and it's most useful when you do it as a means to enhance your nervous system and improve your neurological drive and improve your body's ability to handle heavier weights. So what does all that add up to? What it adds up to is that doing partial reps with really heavy weight can help you lift not as heavy weights. So, example, if you do quarter squats with extremely heavy, let's say 120% one rep max, that's not going to help you necessarily squat to full range at all. What it will do is it will condition your nervous system to be able to stand up and handle and know what that level of loading feels like. Same thing with partial rep bench presses. Let's say your bench press is 275. You do, you know, let's say three-inch range of motion pin presses with 350. Is that going to mean that you can press 350? No, but it means you can condition your joints to handle what 300 pounds feels like. Same thing can apply to deadlifts. So rack pulls are a very common movement. Rack pulls you can oftentimes do much heavier than you can deadlift from the floor. If I can rack pull 500 pounds, does that mean I can deadlift... 500 pounds from the floor. No, a rack pull is not a deadlift. What a rack pull does do, though, is that it conditions your nervous system to be able to at least accustom- accommodate 
accustomed and be familiar, so to speak, with that level of loading. Strength is very neurological. Very, very, very neurological. You can get a 20% strength increase over a period of a few weeks just by training with heavier weights. And the basis behind powerlifting is that you spend much of the year submaximal lifting in the 70-80% range. You move into these higher rep ranges, or no, I'm sorry, higher percentage ranges of more maximal loading. So you're moving into, you know, five, three, one, two reps. You move into heavier weights, and then your body gets more coordinated moving heavier weights. Doing partial reps is a way of conditioning your body to handle heavier weights. It doesn't necessarily build a ton of muscular size doing just that, but it can enable you to lift heavier loads, which could help you get bigger and help you get stronger. So partial ranges of motion, partial range of motion training, yes, it has its place, and some people are very fond of using it. The one caveat to it is that you need a very quality power rack to do it in. You need to be able to do presses off pins. You need to be able to do squats off the pins. Not everybody has ready access to a power rack. Um, especially if the loads you're using are pretty substantial. If you're in the 500-plus range for your movements and all, um, you know, let's say you can squat 400 and you're going to do partial squats with 500, you better have a rack that can handle those kinds of weights. Um, you know, a lot of times at commercial gyms, sometimes the racks are good, sometimes they're very shitty. So you have to account for your training environment. But that is partial range of motion training. Partial range of motion training, in a nutshell, it's just a way of using heavier weights and train your nervous system to be able to handle heavier weights. So strategically, you know, maybe doing it once every three weeks or including as part of a training cycle, um, yeah, it could be useful. could definitely, definitely, definitely be useful. Uh, it can also teach your body, you know, to, you know, let's you can also use it isometrically even to, uh, you know, let's say produce like sustained amounts of, you know, uh, sustained amounts of force relative to your maxes. So meaning what? Well, let's say your, uh, let's say your lockout and your squat is, Lousy. Let's say, you know, staying up with a squat, you can get past the hole, but you can't stand up all the way. Doing isometric exercises against the pins where you're pressing the bar into the pins, into the rails, you know, for 10 seconds, that can train your nervous system to power through out of the hole. You can do the same thing with deadlifts, you can do the same thing with bench press. So it's not really a, it's not necessarily partial range of motion training in the sense that you're using heavier weights, but it is partial range of motion training from the standpoint that you're working a specific range of the rep and trying to get stronger in it. Now, moving on from there, though. Moving on from there. I'm sure, I'm probably just, I'm sure I just created a lot of questions for you guys, but moving on from there. What about cheat reps? So cheat reps, there's kind of two ways to do this. You could view cheat reps as you're using momentum to move the weight, or you could view cheat reps as you're only doing a small partial range of motion with the, rate, with the weight. Um, is there a difference? Yeah, there kind of is. Now, cheating reps where you're using momentum, that can be useful because it can condition your body, again, to handle heavier loads. So strength is muscular, strength is neurological, strength is uh, connective tissue, and you obviously can't discount the role of your nervous system. Like, if you didn't have a nervous system, you wouldn't have muscle, period. It's like if you didn't have muscles, your nervous system wouldn't have much to do. So using momentum with things like, let's say, barbell curls or you know, bicep curls in general, Maybe sometimes machine movements. Momentum on a rep, you're still going to get tension going through the muscle. You're still going to get a pump effect. You're still going to get some. You're still going to get a high degree of metabolic stress. There are times when you can cheat reps with momentum strategically, and it's going to help you build muscle. It is going to help you damage that muscle, and it's not bad to do. I wouldn't suggest doing that all the time, but on your secondary movements, definitely it can be helpful. So 
when you're working out, let's say, uh, let's say you're going to do dumbbell shoulder presses, and you do those strict with a proper range of motion. And then you go do lateral raises, and on lateral raises, you use momentum. Oh, that's terrible. You should never use momentum. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. Lateral raises are not a compound exercise. At a certain point, you can only use so much weight. And lateral raises, if you're doing them for a pump and for a metabolic effect, and you're just trying to get some extra work for your medial real deltoids, sure, you can use momentum. That's not bad to do. Again, that's not an exercise. Because it's a small exercise relative to the range of motion it's working, and you're only trying to work that aspect of uh, abduction of the shoulder joint, go ahead and use some momentum. It's not a bad thing. So with your primary, uh, what I call keys of progress exercises, the things that you are constantly trying to improve and get stronger at, I wouldn't suggest using momentum for those movements. For your secondary movements, for isolation exercises, for you know even something like a leg press where you're just trying to get your legs to really pumped and burned out, yeah, you can use some momentum. So momentum reps... You know, cheating that way, not such a bad thing. Don't do it for everything, but you can do it at times. You can do it as you get tired. You can do it as, you know, you start to fatigue. You can may, perhaps go from cheating with really heavy weights on some lateral raises, and as you get lighter, you try and uh, get the form more strict. So there's ways to use it that way. What about cheat reps where you're using a partial range of motion? Partial ranges of motion, I really don't recommend. The only time I recommend them or how I have people do them, is if we're really just trying to completely, thoroughly exhaust a muscle and we've already done full range of motion reps and we're just going for that scorcher effect of let's say we've done bicep curls and we, you know, we went from doing strict curls to doing some curls with momentum and now we're only doing the top half of the curls and we're just trying to pump the muscle that much more. The thing about cheat reps is it can feel good. You can definitely get a good pump from these kinds of reps, but Compound movements, not safe to do at all. Doing partial motion range, doing like, let's say, you, you see the guys doing partial motion bench presses where they're just doing the, the top lockout just for, you know, a few inches of range of motion. That's not doing anything, guys. Same thing with shoulder presses. Uh, you see these guys do this all the time. They, you know, they go to shoulder presses, they press the weights up, and then they're basically just doing like these pity patter presses. Not doing shit. So partial ranges of motion, that way for your compound movements, it, it's, or, I guess we you know, partial range of motion cheat reps, completely worthless to do. It's not helping anything. But for isolation movements again, sure, it could be helpful. Uh, to use the lateral raise example, yeah, you're doing some lateral raises and you're barely raising the weights a third. You know what? You're still getting lots of stress to the deltoids. That could work. Bicep curls, you're just curling up the top half. That could work. Leg curls, you're just curling the weight back that much or you've got the weight almost extended and you're doing these little small range of motion reps just to really tear up the muscle, that could work. You know, even leg presses where you've gotten fatigue and you're just trying to lock out the weight the last few times, yeah, th that could work. I'm not going to make a case that, you can't make a case that's going to build that much more muscle and it's going to be 500% more effective if I do these cheat reps, but you could make a case that, you know what, I like doing it and I really like the feeling of my muscle just being totally pumped up and scorched and burned out afterwards and I enjoy it. Okay, great. You know what? If it works for you and you think it does something, N equals one. You are your own experiment. Go with it. But as a progressive training strategy, you can't track cheat reps at all. You can't say that I cheat rep curled 90 pounds and henceforth that's going to make my strict curl go up this much more. There's just no way to measure that kind of stuff. It's too individual. Um, and it, like I said, it comes down to so many different factors that it's just one of those nebulous, fuzzy things that if you like doing it, do it. If you don't care for it, don't bother. You know, myself personally, 
I don't really use cheat reps in training ever. I just don't see the point. A lot of it's ego-driven. Same thing with clients uh, when I'm training people. Very rarely do I ever have people do cheat reps. All people use momentum, perhaps, to help them, you know, again, accustom themselves to heavier weights. But I'm not going to have someone do lots of partial range of motion cheat reps just because I want to, you know, really thrash them. I consider it something of a waste of time that way. You just use it, use it sparingly if you use it at all. So to try and recap this, so range of motion, what is range of motion? Range of motion is the range of motion that you can take any given joint through in terms of its range of movement. You have your active loadable range of motion where you can load a muscle, and that's the safe range of motion. You have the hyperextended range of motion where you start loading the tendons and connective tissue beyond what the muscle can really move through, and that's unsafe. That's going to cause joint pain, joint issues. You have partial reps. Partial reps, when used correctly with compound movements, it can help you get stronger because it trains your nervous system to express higher amounts of force and to handle heavier amounts of weight. And then you have cheat reps where you can either use momentum and, again, get used to using heavier weights and still create muscular tension. And then you have cheat reps cheat reps with partial range of motion where you're just using little smaller ranges of motion to try to fully burn a muscle out. And then the big overwhelming factor, overreaching factor that influences all of this is your own body structure, how you're built, how tall you are, how long your arms are, your limbs, your legs, your torso, etc. And that's going to influence what your form looks like and what proper technique is for yourself. So it's always, technique and form are always relative to you and whether any of the stuff I just talked about works, whether cheat reps work, whether you use partial reps, etc., it's going to come down to your training style. It's going to come down to what you're training for. It's going to come down to what kind of gym you have. And it's going to come down to just your personal preference. And then you make a decision from there whether something is worth doing or not worth doing. So if you guys have questions, ask me. Hopefully I didn't ramble on too much about this. It's a good question with a lot of factors that are obviously involved with it. So train hard, train smart, guys. And until next time, good luck. <laughs>